Hey, I'm glad you're here. Welcome to No Reservation. In my own words, my name is Landon Logie. I am an event producer uh, and a culinary specialist and an incredibly passionate hospitality professional. Landon, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. How many times in your life have people screwed up your name? Um, I mean, not my actual name, but I do get Mr. Logie all the time over <laughs> really? email. Yeah. Okay. So Landon is, is traditionally, apparently it's a boy's name. So, and I can always see the point when we meet in person, if I haven't corrected them or didn't have the opportunity and they, they say, I'm looking for Landon or, or they find me, I can see on their face the moment that they're like, oh my goodness, I called her ma Mr. Logie or sir or something. It's very, very sweet always. So you're always living in that space where you're bucking traditional norms, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's just default. It's it's a default. Yeah, you could say that. Amazing. So tell me your story. Where does this all start? Who are you and where do you come from and what made you who you are today? I make a joke very often that I was born and bred to be an event planner. I come from a household that was made to host. My mom, legend, and uh, she she was always hosting parties, whether it was for herself, for, for the kids, for our birthdays, they were extraordinary. Like I'm talking princesses in the backyard, <laughs> themed awesome. full costumes. Um, entire classes invited to sleep over and then my mom herself would host a chocolate champagne caviar party every year for her birthday she Serious still does business. it. Serious, Serious business. business. Yeah. And so I am one of very few people that I know and I consider myself very lucky but I have always known what I wanted to do. I awesome. always knew there was going to be events in my future and since I was a very small child I wanted to to be quote-unquote a business woman even though I didn't know what that meant at the time I just I was enamored with the idea of having my own company and, and starting my own projects. So I, when I finished high school, I took a year off and I started working at Jack Astor's Ooh. and uh, I loved it. I, and that was to save money for school and Good just figure you. out exactly what I wanted to do. And um, so I ended up being at Jack's for five years and I, I, I think nothing but happy, wonderful thoughts. It was a smaller location. It was in Mississauga and it was a family and it, the people there, the women there are still friends. I still have friends and I will hopefully have them for the rest of my life. It taught me so much working in, in the service industry and, and I truly, I loved every second. That's really amazing. It was, I'm very yeah. lucky. Um, and so then I, so I kept that while I was in school, putting myself through school. And then I went, I ended up at George Brown College. So I did two programs. I started with my special event management diploma. So it was a two-year program for events, like hyper-focused, yeah. which was amazing. It was very hands-on, which I okay. love. Like I have nothing but five-star reviews for George Brown. I loved, I loved it there. And um, my professors, I loved that they were, they were industry. Yeah. They, were, they were not, you know, teachers teaching practical they were they had their own businesses they had their own failures mm. which I which those lessons stand out for me among uh, f heavier than any of the other ones because I remember the first time I realized that my professors or my teachers actually had their own businesses uh, and they had their own event businesses or restaurants and I remember them sharing stories of, of failed restaurants and I was like oh my gosh yeah. these are real people teaching me these yeah. are real lessons 
Um, and so I, and then we, of course, we actually got to do our own events. And so there's a seed event. So you do, we did Pancake Palooza. <laughs> Anyone who knows me, I have a bit of an affinity for pancakes. I love them. <laughs> I love them <laughs> dearly. And so we did Pancake Palooza. And so that's a seed event. It raises money and then you do your capstone and that's your graduation project. And we did, my group did Art in the Six. Wow. And uh, you learn a lot. That was, and maybe I'm diving way too deep here. No, it's know. perfect. No, 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 no. It was tough because it was groups of 20 planning yeah. an event. Mm. And we were kids. Yeah. You know, we're all, we're all yeah. 19, 20, and we'd never done, no one knew what we were doing. And yeah. here we were playing with $20,000. But it was very successful. And, uh, and it, was, it was exactly what the, the kind of kickoff you need from, from yeah. school to go into the real world. And then, of course, there's externships. And then I bridged and I participated, or I guess did, whatever the correct verb is, the, the uh, degree program. At wow. George Brown. So Good for you. Thank you. Yeah, so that's it, awesome. it was the uh, Honors BA of Hospitality Business Administration. Wow. So can I ask you a question there? Yeah. So how, what was it like going from a diploma program into a degree program? Tell me about that kind of transitional experience. Was the education different? What you learned different? You obviously sort of changed subjects from special events to you know, hospitality, probably a bit more broadly, just love to hear about that experience. And then tell me about the rest of your degree and, and what you did there, externships, placements, and all those other things. It was different. Yeah. And I remember that it wasn't, it wasn't something that I had thought of. I are one of our counselors or my program manager because George Brown is so hands-on. They they touch base with, with each student individually. And so Gary Hoyer was his name called and he also taught me a class at one point. And uh, he he called me into his office and said, You're eligible for this program. Hmm. Like this is your your average or whatever it is and and I think you'd be a good fit and I'd like you to consider it. So I remember him giving me the one oh one and my intention had been at that point to go back to get my degree at some point. I always wanted a business degree, yeah. again, because I knew one day I was going to have a business. Yeah. That was a non-negotiable. And so when I when he explained that the program allowed me to bridge from, so I just completed a two-year diploma, and those credits would, would bridge me into a, a formalized degree program, and basically I'd be jumping right into third year. Amazing. So you didn't have to start from scratch. Basically. I didn't have to start yeah. from scratch, and it, there was a bridging summer, but I it was necessary, and it yeah. was and it makes sense. And there was a couple kind of because and every every program had to do their own version of a bridging summer because yeah. there were things that like there was a tourism program, for example, or a hotel program that were specialized and specific that we all had to be on the same page. So they would fill in the gaps for each program so that when we all got into third year, we were all on the same page Amazing. and we had the same electives, et cetera. Yeah. And uh, it was, the pace was different yeah. for sure. The material was more academic. And if I do, if I remember correctly, to, to achieve the degree, you had to like maintain a certain average. Mm -hmm. you, I think it was 75% or 74%. So in your classes that you had to have a minimum of that grade, in order for it to count toward the degree. Right. So um, math was not, math was, has been, <laughs> always <laughs> has been and will be hard for me. And I, I had to take statistics and economics and that those were the hardest things I have ever done to this day. <laughs> I, I meltdown tears, the whole nine yards. And I'm, I'm happy for it, but I really, those were barriers in that program. Otherwise it was incredible. I actually fell in love with accounting, oh. which 
not that I'm good at it, but it's, I don't not enjoy it anymore. Pretty important life skill, yeah. <laughs> especially as an entrepreneur anyway, right? Like right, in or, the long run. Yeah. Or an event manager, managing yeah, a budget, all of, all of the things. Yeah, yeah. So I'm grateful for that. I am grateful for the networking opportunities, but I loved the, I loved getting the across the board. I loved, because I consider myself a hospitality professional and with events, there are so many different facets and the more that you understand when you're creating an experience and because I specialize in the culinary and hospitality world I think that that gave me a platform and a leg up into that world because we learned I mean just even having the background like if you're just talking theory having the background of hospitality law yeah restaurant um building like we had to do costing there was an entire class on costing i can't remember the formal title forgive me yeah. but it was you know it was costing restaurants yeah. every class for the whole semester we built a restaurant kitchen and we learned to cost it and then the teacher would throw us different scenarios and be like lettuce is on a premium this mm -hmm. week what are we doing to the menu incredible and then there was um, sales classes with Joanne Galatly, who is still someone that I consider a, a dear industry colleague to this day. She's brilliant. And then every, as we got further into the year, in fourth year, it increased to the opportunity of hands-on. Hmm. So there was, the projects became actually out in the field. You were interviewing, like going to, back to that sales class, you were doing case studies and interviews with other industry professionals about very specific facets of their operation wow. so it was really hands-on and it was real world experience which i think is so it kept a little bit of that element of what i loved about the college program the degree or the diploma program so much because i like hands-on learning especially in this industry yeah and then what i what i really love about this degree was that it's actually what showed me how much i love culinary and the world of culinary because part of it was one year of fully in the kitchen like you were doing it was 101 like we were learning to julienne peppers and my i will never forget it was chef higgins who was the prop and uh, on the first day him walking around watching us all and i thought this man has the patience of a <laughs> of a legend yeah, because yeah. nobody we didn't know how to do anything we couldn't yeah. even figure out how to turn on the stoves yeah. and, and in our credit it was hard it was a yeah, weird yeah thing. of course but yeah. he was like Nobody, nobody knows how to do this. And we're yeah. like, chef, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. We're students. We're here <laughs> yeah, to learn. We... Yeah, if we knew how to do this, we'd be teaching or something. Exactly. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. And so we all, you know, we're, we had, we're in our chef whites yeah. and, and it was hot as anything <laughs> in those kitchens. My God. And so we had that. And then there was on the flip side, culinary theory. Okay. So we learned this uh, history of the brigade system and uh, different types of um, cuisine influence. And we read cookbooks and it was just, it was sexy as all hell. It That's was amazing. fun. And it was, it felt to me like everybody could, because there was a lot of international students in yep. our class. There was everybody from all walks of life. And when you're in the kitchen and you've been in there for eight hours, you know, our final capstone for this you had to make three different re recipes everyone invited all of their family and friends uh, <laughs> yeah. nice. i mean yes <laughs> you brought your mom chocolate champagne <laughs> for that reason i did not invite <laughs> yeah. my mother <laughs> was, she was not there and uh it was stressful and it was such a real world experience and oh. my god i know i keep saying it was hot but it was hot <laughs> in the kitchens and you're you know you're presenting your dish to your classmates to their parents to your parents to your families and friends and i just thought this is looking around the room everybody connecting and also just how much fun i had doing the yeah. menu pairing and then of course there were you know wine classes that we took and it all just came together like we do three years of wine i think yeah. 
where the final exam was a blind tasting, wow. <laughs> which is unbelievable. Yeah, some pressure there. It was some pressure. Yeah. And so you had to identify the, the varietal, the region, and the, the age. Yeah. And um, bringing that all together, I thought I had fallen so in love with it. Like That's I felt awesome. my heart, thank you, my yeah, heart was on yeah. fire. And that made me realize I want this. Hmm. I want events, yeah. but I want this in yeah. events. Yeah. How am I going to do that? And so I was, it took me, so it took me a while to figure it out because I, it's a niche. It's a yeah. very niche uh, part of, of event planning. And there are definitely organizations out there and companies who do it, but not ones that I felt did it the way that I wanted to, that, that my heart wanted to hmm. do it. And so I remember in fourth year, so I was in my final, final project and uh, it was in a, a tourism class. I, I once again can't remember the name, but I was uh, I ended up doing a project on culinary tourism. Ooh! And then I came across the website of the Culinary Tourism Alliance. Interesting. And I read the first page of their website, and I was like, "This is it. These are my people. Hmm. This is what I need. This is where I need to go." Yeah. And so I emailed them. I <laughs> and once again, the, they're women. I love this yeah. team. They're yeah. they're still in my life, and I'm so grateful for that. I emailed them, the director of communications at the time, Agatha, yeah. and said, um, I need you, and but you need me. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> and this is why. Yeah. And she emailed me back saying, we don't have any positions, but we could do an internship. Like, no, would you be willing? And I said, yes. And I actually had to, because I'd already completed my internship at yeah. George Brown, I had to effectively rescind it like go in gotcha retract the paperwork yeah. and say i don't want this to yeah, count yeah. anymore because otherwise it wouldn't have you know yeah. wouldn't have been above board yeah. and that i remember admin was like i don't understand <laughs> why <laughs> what do you mean you're you're graduating yeah. i was like nope we're yeah. not we're not graduating today yeah. and so i i did an internship and then it just was exactly i was like you're we're gonna fall in love yeah. and we did and uh and then the organization grew and i was offered a full-time position as wow. their event manager Thank amazing you. Yeah. It was a very special yeah. football. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> and, um, and then I had uh, four years at the CTA, and I took over the terroir symposium. Fabulous. Which, it was fabulous. Yeah. It was, and I re that was my first big event, yeah. doing the, t the terroir symposium. And, I'll, and in case there's anybody listening who doesn't know what the terroir symposium is, thank you. hit us with yeah. it. It is a hospitality and tourism um, symposium. It was meant to be quite intimate. It's, it's owned by Terroir Hospitality. And CTA had owned the license for the for the time that I was there, and it is a an intimate forum that allows basically thought leaders, innovators to connect in a way that I have still to this day never seen yeah. at another event, because the it was a donation of the industry's time. Yeah. So if you came, there was a, a speaker donation made in your honor, nice. but you were not paid. Your hospitality was paid. Yeah, and. I found that that organically created a very special sense in the room because the the individuals, the speakers who were willing to do that and not get paid were the people who really wanted to see our industry move forward, yeah, understood absolutely. a meaningful, and, and we could, I'm sure, converse about how everyone should be paid for what they do for hours, but this is, people really saw it as a donation. Yeah. And and then they would stay at the event after, and they would stay at the conference for the whole day and the, and the, the after party, and you would, 
you would be talking to people like Mark Brand, for example, who was a speaker, or um, there were chefs, you know, international chefs who came in and they would stay and they would talk to you. And it was incredible. And yeah. the, the program curated was so incredible. And then the food and beverage program was unlike, again, yeah. anything I've ever seen. <laughs> the, the best of the country in many cases, oh, right? Oh, goodness. Yeah. And it was themed. It yeah. was, and so breakfast was an it was always the a host region so norfolk county for example collaborating with the host venue so it would always be a showcase a local taste of place yeah and so and a lot of the food and beverage was implemented that way as an additional showcase of ontario because we had all of this international presence whether that was speakers or media or sponsors it was a really great opportunity that was i believe maximized to showcase everything that we had to offer and then there was a special um day of called the Rural Retreat. So that was the post-event day that was for just speakers, partners, and media to to really do a hyper-local showcase. So we would go into a, a, an Ontario region. Yeah. And during my time, it was uh, Peterborough and the Quarthas and Norfolk County. Um, and it was, we would work with the Feast on Chef program, which is a local um, uh, certification for Ontario restaurateurs and hospitality operations food service yeah. who uh, purchase a certain percentage of their procurement is locally sourced from Ontario. Yeah. So anyway, so the, so the food and beverage throughout the program was, so the, the breakfast was nuts. The breaks were sponsored by Cacao Berry. So mm. we had these incredible chefs from across the GTA making savory and sweet desserts. Amazing. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And the lunch was themed and then there was, you know, we had the coffee partners and we had vodka there with an ice luge and it awesome. was... It was um, it was magic, yeah. and then breakout sessions. There was intimate dialogue. There was networking, and you walked out of that room feeling like you could take over the world. Yeah. Every person, I believe it. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so that was this your time at the Culinary Tourism Alliance. Mm -hmm. You're obviously not working at the Culinary Tourism Alliance anymore. So keep us going. What happens next? Keep us going. So this is this takes us into the first year of the pandemic. Ooh. So. Ooh. Yes, yeah. and I'm going to gloss over it a little <laughs> yeah. bit because yeah. we've, we don't need to talk about there. that. We, don't need we to all know that. Yeah, yeah. It don't happen. Yeah. Through the CTA, we had taken terroir to the uh, uh, virtual format, yeah. which was real tough because it's a food and beverage symposium, for right? Sure. So a big part of the the impact for both attendees but also partners was the opportunity to get their food or their product in front of chefs. And the in-person connections, of relationships, course. networking, hugging, crying, of all course. of it. Oh, yeah. the hugging, crying, yeah. Yeah. crying, yeah. crying in the walk-in. Yeah, exactly. uh, no. <laughs> yeah. And so the um, we had done a uh, Taste of Terroir box, which we did in my basement while we were moving my childhood home. My mom is probably, if she listens to this, will have PTSD. And we <laughs> did, we shipped like 300 boxes. So with 20 products in. So each sponsor <sighs> shipped to my house. Like I remember Lavaza loading into my, like looking for the loading dock in my backyard yeah. <laughs> and i was like we just have to hand bomb it i'm oh sorry and he was like no you you have to hand bomb yeah, it. i'm yeah, not yeah, yeah. i didn't I, get paid yeah, to get yeah. off this truck <laughs> <laughs> so it was exhausting anyway so we we facilitated it yeah. it of course was not the same but i'm i'm very proud of how that ended up yeah and then at that same time um the Tourism Industry Association of Ontario, who remains a client of mine to this day, and Carol, the, their incredible VP, was someone that I had worked with through the CTA. Huh. Like previously, she hired our team to do social media on site at their summit. 
she had reached out to Rebecca and, and we'd had a couple com- uh, conversations earlier in the year to compare notes on virtual platforms mm. on which one they picked, what we picked, why, et cetera. And then um, Tayo had reached out and said, you know, we Landon is part-time, which I was. Could we, could Landon be hired? Like, can we have your permission to, to have Landon you know, do logistics for us. And so I had the opportunity to join the Tayo team on a contract basis, like through the CTA and bring to life the Ontario Tourism Summit in a virtual uh, capacity, which was also nuts and a very different event. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) And and, and brilliantly so, but very different. And and the focus on Tayo's event was, of course, the not food and beverage. Yeah. It was the the speaker content and the pre-recording and the live broadcast. And we actually had an in-studio component. So it was a whole level. And we were all working remotely, of course. And I couldn't be in studio. And so, and it was also successful. Yeah. Nuts. Yeah. Really nuts. Yeah. But it was uh, it was at that time. So I finished, I finished our terroir. And then I finished Tayo's amazing summit. And I was just like, I am so exhausted yeah. because it's there's no fulfillment i find it not no but there is not the same re-energizing when you're on site and you walk in and you've prepped for six months and then you get to just breathe it all in and yep. you're, you're standing there at 4 a.m in the loading dock and you're like yes yeah exactly I did this yeah. there is not that yeah. and then when it when it ends i find that the a virtual event when you just click you know, zoom end yeah. and then close your computer at the end of the day and you're by yourself in your yeah. office, your Very bedroom. isolating, right? It's, you're like, huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Over. <laughs> Is it done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had, I was taking a pause and then Rebecca had called me and said, you know, I think there's opportunity for this to keep going. Who's Rebecca? Oh, sorry, Rebecca from the Culinary Tourism Lights. So where I was still working. Yeah. Their, their incredible CEO and uh, called me and said that, you know, I, we can keep doing this. I said, I can't. No, I can't keep hmm. doing this. And, uh, and I was definitely at a, at a breaking point, a burnout point. And it was, and part of it was nothing that anyone could have controlled. Like for me, the people at the event, the partners, that is why I do it. Yeah. That's what, well, that's what keeps me in events, keeps me in this industry. And uh, I needed a break. And so, and she understood. And so we, we said our goodbyes and, and it was hard. And I loved that part of my life dearly, but it also felt like it felt right. Like mm-hmm. it settled in my heart after I'd said it. And yeah. it was not my plan. Yeah. Like it was very, you know, she called me to talk about it and I just realized I couldn't, I was at the end of my rope. And then I had with Tayo, I had taken on another project as part of their contract with right. me. I was working on the Elevating Canadian Experiences project. So I called Tayo and said, I've, you know, I've just let CTA know that I, I need a break. I'd like to finish this product, hmm. uh, well, project, and w- will you still have me as an independent? And I actually really like this team, and I like the pace, and I like the way that you know. I, there was a lot I loved about it, and can I stay until you know until further notice? <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and and I was you know very lucky that they they said yes, and so and so basically we moved forward, and Tayo was my only client. I was an independent, and we got a couple months later. And a couple partners had reached out to me, or, or industry people that I'd met through my years at the CTA. With like, and also I'm I sit on the board for Festival Events Ontario. I helped with their virtual conference, doing the exact same thing that I did for Tayo and CEA, CTA. And then industry started reaching out to me saying, "Can you let me know this hmm. like about a virtual platform? Can I pick your advice on this? Do you have capacity to take this project on for virtual or hybrid, or can you do this webinar for me?" And I. 
my intention, as I've said many times already, was always, I was always having my own company. But in my mind, I was like, I'll be 35, well-seasoned, yeah. and tons of experience. That's when I'll be ready. Yeah. And I, there was a moment, and I was like, I think I'm not ready. I, I don't know if you ever feel ready to do something like that. But yeah. I was like, I think that I could, there's an opportunity here. And which sounds crazy because it's, of course, the middle of the pandemic and you're opening an event company. But because I think I was positioned uniquely because I was younger and there was an innate technology comprehension. Interesting. And so Zoom was not a challenge for me. Yeah. Ever. And, I, and I'd spent and that was not a dig at anybody. Yeah. I just yeah, no, no. It, it was there was a learning curve yeah, for a for lot sure. of people and yeah. a lot of planners. Yeah. And because I'd spent the whole summer with CTA looking at platforms and then for Tayo, I had ones that I loved right. and, and had figured out or yeah. I'd learned to, you know, learned a little bit to code and whatever it is. Yeah. And, um, and so that it just, I had a leg up again and it was like, this makes sense. And so then Landon Logie events was born. Hooray. Hooray. Yeah. <laughs> and I continued for the rest of that year doing virtual events, which again, didn't bring me as much joy as in person, but I was working and I am lucky to have had income and to have still been doing events, still making connections, still learning. And then um, Chayo was actually the first client that got back to in-person first hmm. for their summit. And it was a hybrid. And then that pretty much, I mean, I don't know how much more into the career I should go, but that pretty much brings me to where I am today. That's amazing. With my own, I mean, I still feel like an imposter saying this, but with oh my, my own event company. That's fabulous. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. That all is really great. And it's it's amazing to hear in the early days of your you know time as a student, it sounds to me like you were naturally drawn to entrepreneurial kind of things. Like it, the highlights of your experiences in education weren't necessarily just the immersion of the theory and the immersion in the academic experience. It became very practical and it became about those capstones and those kind of opportunities for you to, to excel and, and kind of learn and grow as an entrepreneur. I mean, yes, I would say yes. And so that stayed with you all the way through, which is amazing. And I'm really happy to hear you finding your niche, your own space and being able to stick with it and turn it into, into your own business. So congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. I, I thank you. Awesome. Okay, I got some questions for you. Tell me. So here we are in 2023, halfway through the year, sort of. Yeah. Um, ideally, you know, this pandemic life is behind us. I think a few months ago, you know, the the you know, World Health Organization kind of said, "All right, pandemic's over." Uh, we're still obviously dealing with that, you know, on on small levels, but let's hope those big days are behind us. Tell me about the world of events as it relates to the hospitality and tourism industry specifically are we fully back in person are we still messing around with hybrid are some people still doing you know one year online one year in person what do you see from your perspective what are people doing right now i see i think we are fully back in person i think the organizations and the conferences and i'm and i'm going to speak only in the, the corporate world because sure. i don't do yeah. weddings from your experience yeah. anyway okay. that's that's all i'm perfect. asking okay perfect so i think that what i've seen is the 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 organizations that prioritize content meaning it's the actual speakers and the content that they are delivering and that's not to say that the other organizations that have other facets are not prioritizing content but the ones that are like the UNWTO for example I which think, is um 
the United uh, Nations yeah. World Thank Tourism you. Organization. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I'm so there are so many acronyms. You got it. I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> I just know yeah. what they are now. Yeah. Thank you. They, uh, I believe that they will keep hybrid for a very long time because it allows their audience to remain around the world yeah. where the cost for them to come in person or the time that they would have to take to come in person is not an option. Yeah. And it allows them to still get their messaging, get their content across. But the events that are maybe more like the CTA's conference where their their biggest is selling point and unique selling feature is the in-person networking and the food and beverage program. Yeah. I think they have, and that's, uh, that's just an example. This is not actually specific to the CTA, Yeah, but I believe that that's the difference is they're not going to invest in an online component because it doesn't, I don't think it makes sense right. when, when the, the content is not necessarily what people are going there yeah. for yeah. solely. Yeah. So I see both my, I mean, I, I love the opportunity of, of hybrid and of recording. I think that is kind of maybe where the future is going to go because hybrid, is, it's expensive right, yeah. to do it both. The AV budget doubles to bring in the team to do the live stream, to do the recording, to do the camera, to do the production. And then of course you need a platform yeah. to, to stream it through, to yeah. give it out. What, what I think is going to continue to happen is the recording and then an on-demand style offering of recordings, or presentations, and that can be done without the massive AV budget. Yeah. It can be done with the massive yeah. AV budget. You, yeah. can, you can have the HD camera operator and the mics and everything there during your conference. But if you're willing, and if I find, and so one of my clients does do this, we pre-record. And so right. with the speakers. And so it is done on Zoom yeah. and it's not identical, yeah. but it is the content, yeah. right? Like you're still getting, you get to still rewatch, you can take notes, they share their screen and we do two recordings at once. So we record their PowerPoint. And then, you know, as long as they're willing, we take their PowerPoint presentation. And so the attendees can rewatch the, pro the program essentially. Uh, it's just, uh, it's done a little bit differently, but ultimately I kind of feel like people are just listening to it anyway. Like I think yeah. people who attend virtual conferences yeah. have it open in one tab and then they're doing like slight emails and you know, I yeah. think it, I think it really works for that purpose. Yeah, totally. That's a great, yeah. Thanks for that perspective. Exactly. I think it's interesting also to see the different forms of media in the world that we're sort of now living in. I think what happened over those few years of everything being shut down is, we all found the sources of information and the ways that we wanted to learn yeah. or, you know, advance our professional <laughs> development or network. And in some cases it's through technology and in some cases it's in person. But I find what's really interesting is there's much more variety now. So obviously here you and I are sitting here recording a podcast in person yep. that, you know, podcasting in the way that people kind of feel connected to the rest of the world, I think has, you know, advanced a lot in the last few years. I think there's still place for the, like the written media. I always like, especially at conferences and things when you can either read ahead of time or summaries of what's happening and not necessarily like big, huge, massive academic conference papers, but like, this is what this person said and this is how you can kind of consume it. And then there's the sitting there in person live and the networking and then there's all that post stuff too. So I think it's interesting to see it's kind of like a, a very 360, you know, wrap around the actual event. What happens in the event is really, really critically important. But to so many people who are trying to learn from that event or mm -hmm. experience that event, I like the way the technology is kind of allowed people to just 
you know, plug in however they best want to plug in. And in some cases that's fully in person and you want to do that. But in some cases it's just not possible. Like you said, international tourism conferences or even something that's drawing a national, Mm -hmm. you know, audience that there's still that kind of space for that because of that technology, which is cool. So let me ask you another question. Uh, You probably have heard, uh, experienced that the hospitality and tourism and events industry is facing some pretty significant challenges as it relates to talent, Mm -hmm. attracting people to work in this industry. Uh, You and I share something in common in that I also went to school to study hospitality and tourism. And, you know, I've always worked in or around the industry and always kind of stuck with it. But we aren't necessarily the most common, you know, (laughs) versions of young people who or any person who went to school and studied something and kind of stuck with it. So uh, from a very specific events industry perspective, how do you think the events industry is doing attracting next generation leaders or next generation talent? How do you think that's how's that going? You're immersed in the industry because you're an entrepreneur, but also because you work with a lot of clients. So you see their talent pools. How's that going? I don't, I think we're in it with the rest of the industry. We're seeing the same challenges. We're seeing the same return to work-life balance is a little bit different. And we're seeing the same, you know, people have left this Hmm. industry and events are for the most part they are they're high stakes they're high pressure they're not nine to five they're not monday to friday you know there are elements of it that are monday to friday nine to five you can do a lot of your planning then but there are especially during execution you know if you're doing big events there's there are 10-day builds sometimes like for the royal winter fair for example i'm on site for 10 days before the event starts of course then i'm on site and then i'm on site for 10 more days and i love every second of it but you you that's unique i think and you have to you have to love it otherwise i don't think you're you're going to have a good time in events um i feel that i have seen so many, I mean, and I've seen this throughout my whole career and COVID did not help. And I, I've seen this even with my own friends and family who, when I say like, I'm, I'm, I'm an event planner, they're like, amazing. And people immediately go to weddings and, and, yeah. and what, and weddings are amazing. Then they're their own beast, yeah. but there are, you know, unless you're performing at the top of the top of the top, yeah. weddings are, are smaller. I think, especially for my generation, we're doing much smaller, more intimate kind of elopement styles. Um, when you're doing corporate, like the Restaurants Canada shows, 20,000 attendees every day for three days, you know, a thousand exhibitors. We built a restaurant on yeah. site this year um, and they did, uh, they've done that a couple of times. It's, it's, it's so much more yeah. than people think it is. It is hard work It is hard for a work. long time, right? But it's also like, I think, yes. And, but not where I was going with that. It is absolutely hard work, but it's, it's a serious career path. It is a serious career choice. There is a lot of growth. There is a lot of opportunity. And I don't see that translated properly. Hmm. I do. I have the opportunity to speak at George Brown. I usually go twice a year. I, I'm invited to go mm-hmm. twice a year, which is a, a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to speak to um, the classes of the degree program. And they're the third years. So they're it's kind of, they're, they're finishing third year, they're going into fourth, they're looking at externships, they're looking at opportunities. And I sit on a panel with other professionals who, who completed the degree program and who are in different parts of the industry. Right. And I find that when 
I share my story and share the kind of events that I do and the kind of planning processes, whatever it is we end up talking about on the panel. And then there's always a networking component, which is my the best part. And where we, we sit basically <laughs> on a couch, like each of us around the room and students can just come and ask. And, they're, and of course, encourage them. It's my hope that every person wants to ask me a question. Yeah. And I found during this experience in the past couple of years, even with the students in the de degree program who have maybe taken special events or not, they are, they're like, I didn't know about this version of your, of events. Interesting. Or, or this pathway. And it's, and I don't even mean culinary because we, yeah. we've already said that's niche. I mean like corporate and, or food festivals and what that looks like. And I, I think that's something that I've heard and I've talked about with other industry colleagues about one of the things that our industry is trying to do is rebrand. And one of the, the branding images, or images, so to speak, is, yeah. that, is that I want people to see that it's our industry is serious. Yeah. We are important. We are integral yeah. to the economy, to the country. Yeah. And yeah, it's fun. It's yeah. fun to be in this industry. I, yeah. I do think you have to be high functioning in events when it comes to execution. Yeah. But then there's also, you could be planning and not do day of. Yeah, you could sure. just do planning cycles. Yeah. So I feel, and I, I'm not, I don't know if I have a, a solution obviously, but I think that we are struggling and events are struggling. And I don't think we're portrayed in like schools, like high schools, for mm -hmm. example, when you consider a career in event planning, I think it's very superficial what's yeah. shared. It's not, it's not shared the, the incredible pathways that it actually can be. Yeah. Very cool. Well, that's awesome that you give back and go back and <laughs> talk to those classes. That's really great. And it's so cool to hear your story to, to know that really at a young age, you knew exactly what you wanted to do, which again, isn't, as common as you'd think and and you went to school and you pursued it and you stuck with it and it's really great to see you flourish and it's great you know as somebody who uh, attends lots of events and and kind of has been in around your orbit uh, for a number of years it's really great to see you just thriving and and going from one opportunity to another and really making something of your own so i hope you feel great and take that in once in a while that, you know you've you're really accomplished and and you should feel proud about that so thank you Joe. yeah <laughs> So I got a few questions for you. Last questions for okay. kind of winding down our conversation. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have uh, a closing tradition on this podcast. All guests get asked the last three questions. Um, so let's start with uh, the first of the last three. Uh, the most significant adversity you have ever faced in your career is? Mental health challenges and not having room to have mental health challenges. Oh, say more about that if you don't mind. I don't mind. It's something that I have just started talking about. And I think it's something I've learned, I've had to learn because I've taken myself to the point of burnout. Like, mm. you know, and I, I want I'm inclined to say real burnout and not to imply that there's a pretend burnout, but I think there is a level where your body actually just forces you to stop and yeah. it, it results in hospitalization yeah. sometimes. And it is it, within events, like I just said, there's sometimes I'm on site for 20 days. Like there's no room for it, for, for checking in with yourself but there has to be. Hmm. And that's something that I want to teach myself. Like yeah. that's something that you have to work on as an individual. But I also, we hear more and more, you know, whether you're, you're listening to not nine to five is, is a great example. I think everyone in this industry knows Hassel. Um, but there are other organizations teaching workshops on slowing down and checking in with yourself 
but what I as as a leader as I well I, I you know for my team at least and my clients I want to see everybody walking the walk like when you're not when you're emailing on vacation as a leader your team doesn't think they can take vacation off for example and that's a very small example um but it's it's something that is so important because i've reached burnout i've reached the hospitalization i've reached the point where i'm like i don't want to be an event planner and that is another you know we could we could tie that back to the labor crisis we could Mm. talk for hours and i'm not necessarily implying that that's the reason you know but it's it's a hard industry people took a break during COVID and they don't want to come back and I, I think it's something where we've made massive steps towards, like leaps and bounds. People are talking about it, but I think there needs to be next steps. And I think it's something we should, I want to keep talking about until everybody is at a point where they're like, yes, I check in with myself. And hey, it's, it's not inappropriate to tell my boss that I need a second or a mental health day or that, you know, I need to just take some time. I need to slow down, like whatever it is. And I, your career should not be jeopardized because of that yeah thank you for sharing that that's really important i'm sure it's not easy just to t- talk about it so thank you very much okay so second part of that question then uh, assuming that you have or that it's a work in progress how do you overcome that adversity it is it's something that i keep top of mind in i so there's a couple things i have a little sticky note at the side of my computer that just says check in with self Lando and it just sometimes I look at it and it's not just like a wake up in the morning look it's a when I'm looking at contracts or if I'm reviewing a new opportunity or I just need you know I'm feeling overwhelmed at my inboxes I'm like just take a second this is you don't need to be in fight or flight right now or maybe you do and then now you're going to need to take a break Um, I prioritize my morning routine now, which includes yoga, which I think you, you know, (laughs) we, um, I had, I recently hosted my first of what I hope will be many, um, free mental health yoga classes for the industry. Very cool. Very cool. My heart was like exploding. Um, but I've prioritized that I need to take time for myself. So my routine throughout COVID was get up, you know, at seven, start right away on my emails, and I don't need to do that. And it's really hard not to do that because there's never enough hours in the day. But if you don't, I've learned that if you don't make time for yourself, and for me, that's yoga. It's like my it, my mind is cleared. I'm focused only on my mat and what the workout is and what my body is doing. And then I'm, I'm just calm. Like my nervous system is reset and I find it easier to go through my days and spend, you know, eight hours. Sometimes it's 10 hours. You're, I'm an entrepreneur. You're an entrepreneur. You know what it's like. Sometimes you have to do the 10-hour days. And I'm okay with that. But then there are days when I'm, I have to give myself permission not to do the 10 hours and to not feel guilty about that because that is so hard because you're not relaxing if you're sitting there being like, I have 100 emails. Yeah. So that's um, it's a one step at a time. It's something I keep in mind. It's something I'm talking about with people, with, with my contractors, with my team, with my family, with anybody, my clients. I'm like, it's something I want to see everybody share, but especially the people that I have an immediate effect on. And I want them to know that we all, I think if there are a lot of people, again, especially after COVID, who have realized maybe that they they need to think about this and talk about this and make time for themselves, that it's okay to, even if you don't want to share with me in detail, but if you just need to take time for yourself, your health means more to me than any other, anything else, any other contract we're working on, any other event, I, my people need to be okay and I need to be okay. Wow. Good for you. 
That sounds really great. That's, those are really, really positive steps. And, and to share and to try to help other people while you're, you know, moving through something on your own, that's really impactful too. So Thank good for you. you. Thank you, Jeff. All right, last question then. So sounds like you've gained some wisdom, some perspective on the adversity and how you've overcome it. Mm-hmm. How have you applied that or how will you apply that learning to the rest of your career? You know, I listen to these questions because I've been listening to your podcast <laughs> and I was you. like, I'm going to prepare for them. And I think it will be an extension of, of what I just said, that it, I want it to be top of mind and an innate principle moving forward. My, my dream is to one day have a team of like, you know, right now it's contractors. I'd like to have full-time staff and I want mental health benefits and programming to be and human resources to be a a real part of the structure of my organization. And so that's a couple years away, but it's something that I hope, I believe that I'm laying the foundations for, like slowly and one little step at a time, Um, but I want to invest in a third-party company eventually coming in to build that component, like an expert. I want the experts in the field to put in places like structures that it's like, I'm not HR. Like I don't want my contractors. If they have a problem, they need to talk about it. It it's not, it shouldn't be to me as as the one running the operations and leading the team. There should be a very safe space, like as an example. So just keeping top of mind, I continue to read as much as I can about it. I love um, like have a Google alert to like, and then like hospitality specific, um, but just continuing to learn, continuing to keep it top of mind. And then I think yoga will be part of my life forever. This is really amazing. Thank you so much. That's, that's, that's such great perspective and so much optimism for the future. And so just as we wrap up again, thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for sharing your, your journey. Uh, I think it's been really cool to hear all of the things in your background that really brought you to where you are today. And I hope that there are other people listening uh, who are kind of on their own career journeys and maybe they're thinking about going out on their own and becoming an entrepreneur. And, and who knows, maybe your story can inspire some other future leaders with some really positive practices that make a positive impact on the people around them too. So thank you again for sharing. Thank you, Joe, and I hope so. Thank yeah. you, thank you. Yeah, and if there's anybody still listening, as always, we wish you luck and success on your journey wherever your road uh, may lead, and uh, the hospitality and tourism and events industry can be a pretty fabulous place, and we hope that we can continue to attract uh, and retain pretty fabulous people. So thanks again, Landon. Thank you, Joe. No Reservation has been produced by Amanda Christine and is a Joe Baker & Co. production. Check us out at www.thejoebaker.com.